In this series, we have some pretty frank discussions about topics including race, sexuality, and violence. Some of the content and the language may be triggering. Why don't you tell him about the time he tried to seduce you, though? When did he try to seduce me? With the massage. You don't remember that? No, but this is later on. This is uh, right before the attack. Okay. This is right before. We ain't going in order. (laughs) She asked specific questions. Is it okay if he talks about the time Jesse tried to seduce him with a massage? This is Paula. Nice to meet you. And then um, we're going to have you two sitting there. You can sit wherever you want to sit. If you're going to drink that, don't be running around the studio. Bang, bang, bang. (laughs) When you think of Chicago, you might think of freezing winters, hot dogs, and deep dish pizza. It's rich in history and world-famous for its arts and music. People are proud of their city and to call it home. But there's more to Chicago's story. It's a tale of two cities, separated by a deep racial and economic divide. It's the most corrupt city in the US, one of the most racially segregated, and its police department has been criticized as the worst in the country, with nearly 11,000 complaints of misconduct in just five years. The Windy City caught the attention of both the public and the world's media back in 2019, when Empire actor Jesse Smollett told Chicago police that whilst walking back to his apartment in the affluent neighborhood of Streeterville, he became the victim of a hate crime. Two men described as white supremacists shouting racial and homophobic slurs and wearing a red cap, beat him up, tied a noose around his neck and poured bleach on him. He had me say, nigger. He had me say, faggot. Faggot. Uh, He also had me say, MAGA MAGA country. country. The two so-called white supremacists turned out to be Chicago-born brothers Ola and Bola Oshundairo. My name is Deez Nuts, and I love myself. Do you love yourself? Sometimes. Well, yo, <laughs> yo, lady, ooh. can you sing? <clears throat> oh, we have music. Yes, I always. No. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I thought at first you were about to break <laughs> into Whitney Houston. Like <laughs> I will always love you. <laughs> in March 2022, Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in jail for making the whole thing up. He was taken straight from the courthouse to Cook County Jail, one of the largest and most dangerous jails in the country. Six days later, he walked out. Smollett continues to maintain his innocence. He lives as a free man while he awaits the outcome of his appeal to either have his conviction vacated and given a not guilty verdict, or to be granted an entirely new trial. There's three people who know exactly what went down that night and why. One is Jesse. The other two are the Oshundairo brothers. I'm Charlie Webster. This is Attacking Jesse, the Oshundairo brothers' story.
If somebody asked you, can you introduce yourselves, what would you say? Um, my name is Ola Oshundairo. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and I am a boxer, entertainer, actor. And my name is Space. That's what I would tell people. I am Space, and I'll tell you how I got that name. I am Space. I just happen to box. I act. I live life. And uh, I'm a brother to everyone. I have no enemies that I know of. And uh, I'm a child of the Almighty. That's who I am. And why space? What's space mean? So space, uh, the spelling is like outer space, inner space. My grandfather's name on my mother's side was space. He did space engineering. So that's why they called him Space. So that name was just passed down to me. I think I took it from him. He stole it. I, I stole he it. He definitely but, stole it. <laughs> but, it's a good name to steal, though. It is. Fair play. Nobody's called Space except me. So <laughs> no. I, I love that name. Uh, so if anyone comes out with Space after this, you're stealing. It's my name. Yeah, they're so. going to do exactly what you did. <laughs> so, it, it's a great name. Because uh, uh, th that name means a lot to me because uh, in, in what I do, uh, boxing and just in life, space, you can't get away from space. You can't get away from time. Time and space are, go hand in hand. And space is all-encompassing. And that's how I believe I am, um, all-encompassing. So when I first met Jesse, it was through a mutual friend. We'll call him H. He's still a friend of mine. H uh, was good friends of Jesse, and he randomly told me one day, hey, you trying to go over Jesse's house? And I was like, oh, the Jesse, the acted guy? He said, yeah. I was like, all right, sure, let's go. So then he took me over there the first time. So Contrary to what people believe, they thought that, oh, we met on set of Empire because I was an extra or stand-in on Empire. And so I met him that way. That is not how I met Jesse. I met him through a mutual friend, and I went straight to his house. And then from most of the time I met up with Jesse was with uh, our friend H. And we just formed a relationship. We would go out, and we would party, and... That's how we formed our, our relationship. What did you talk about? We watched TV. He would smoke. Uh, I remember there was a time uh, he had driven me around. He was driving, smoking weed, and playing his new album that was about to come out. So we would do things like that, or we would sit at his house and watch TV and stuff like that. We didn't talk too much about politics. How would you describe him as a person? So when I was getting to know him, he was very passionate. He was friendly, kind. He, he was for the people. Uh, he was genuine. He was authentic when I was uh, getting to know him. I didn't really see any red flags or uh, there was no bad feelings towards him. Did he talk to you about his family or his personal life. You know, I was just thinking when you start to get to know somebody and you build a relationship with them, you tend to open up to them about certain things. Right, not so much, not too much. 
when we were together, we would be going out or doing activities and whatnot, or me going to his concert. It wasn't so much uh, personal life. And I didn't ask. And that's why he liked me, I think. He liked that. So when people get around famous people or celebrities, they tend to be fans and want to take pictures, want to ask a million questions and whatnot. And I didn't really do that. So I think he appreciated that at that time. How well did you know him, Ola? I didn't know him too well. I hung out with him a couple times when my brother went out to clubs. I was at his apartment just about once, once or twice, but I think it was once. Uh, we went out to the clubs together a couple times, but I didn't know him as a person. What were your first impressions of him? Um, Laid back guy, very low key, very low key. When we would go out to the clubs, he kept a low profile, didn't want anybody to know who he was. We would chill. He would never buy no tables, um, pop bottles, nothing like that. We'll get drinks from the bar and just be chilling, just be chilling, laying back, chilling. Nothing was extravagant. Yeah, because personally, he's soft. He's very, uh, like my brother said, low-key. He's a soft person. I mentioned before, he was genuine, and he showed care. He showed like he was caring. So uh, in the media, it portrays him as some evil, wicked, uh, manipulative person. Uh, you could say he's manipulative, of course, uh, but in person, he wasn't like that to me. So what was your upbringing like? Was it in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. So we were born here in Chicago. From a very young age, uh, my parents took us to church. We went to church every Sunday. And I was just curious how you would describe yourselves, whether you describe yourselves as African-American or Nigerian. Even though, although we all are children of the Almighty, I believe that, or I call myself West African. So, not even Nigerian. It was just curious that whenever you read the press, though the fact that you were raised and born in Chicago, you were described as Nigerian. What do you think about that? Well, the press got it wrong entirely. Factually, if you want to ask somebody in America, what makes you American? Uh, one of the things that make you American is you being born in America, which... We were. We were born in America. So uh, we are American, born in Chicago. So the media totally got it wrong. Raised right by Wrigleyville. In Wrigleyville. The Cubs Stadium, right home, by the, home of the Cubs. Yeah, right by the Cubs <sighs> Stadium. Yeah. Can you describe the area for us? So the area is predominantly white. Uh, very white. Very white, Yes. Right now, currently, the area is called Boys Town. And Boys Town is like the gay town gay in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like that area. So it's middle class. You have you do have some nice properties in there, so middle to upper class area. Mm -hmm. But the place we were staying uh, was a cooperative. It was subsidized housing in Wrigleyville. 
What was it like for you being brought up in a predominantly white area? Did it impact you? No, I wouldn't say it impacted me uh, at that time because although we did uh, grow up in a white area, our building had many Africans in the building. So we got to know our people and we hung out with our people. Once we moved to we moved to the South Side and we were living around predominantly Hispanics at that time. So we grew up around different ethnic groups and it's helped us to be able to adapt and get along with people, know how to speak to people and just be in in the room with different people and not feel out of place. And for those of us that aren't from Chicago, can you explain what, from your point of view, what it's like there in terms of race relations? So Chicago is very diverse and segregated at the same time. Type of people that are there. Uh, We have every ethnicity and a lot of every ethnicity. However, Chicago is one of the most segregated places, uh, cities uh, in America. You know the people by the area they live in. So. You, you could say Market Park around a certain part of Market Park is predominantly Mexican or Hispanic. Humble Park is Puerto Rican. The Africans are by Rogers Park and the Caribbeans are by East Rogers Park or whatever the case may be. So it's very segregated in that sense. But there are many different ethnicities that live in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago's so huge that it can be segregated, even though having all those people there can be segregated like that at the same time. I did notice that we were different than other people. When we were at home, yeah, we were around family and different uh, or like-minded people, Africans, uh, culturally uh, like-minded people. But uh, when we were outside, we were different. People, one, our names. My name is Abimbola Ashundairo. Uh, that's, well, we, I have seven names, but that's my first and last name, Abimbola Ashundairo. So when people first saw my name, they'll be like, wait, what is that? They'll butcher it, first of all. And they would do that sometimes jokingly or sometimes honestly. So that made me know that I was different. And of course, different people, like friends, and uh, yeah, different people would sometimes uh, let me know that I'm different. Like, oh, how's Africa? You're African. This, uh, are there lions walking around? Or are there, uh, you live in a hut? You know, we had we had a lot of that before we went to Nigeria and even after we came, even more so after we came back because our accents were different. Uh, we couldn't speak like an American or a Chicagoan when we came back. It was very difficult. And I tried to lose my accent, my African accent, when I came back from Nigeria because I I didn't want people to just uh, negatively talk about me when I was back. So we, we tried to lose it. And that's the funny thing. When we're in America, I don't want to say we feel like outsiders, but we're treated. We were treated as outsiders. In Nigeria, <laughs> we're treated like outsiders. So we're, it's like either place we're at, it's 
we don't have fit in. Yeah, we never fit in. Yeah, we where do you belong? Yeah, yeah, we mm. never fit in. Names are important. So how does it make you feel that nobody pronounced your name right, your surname right, throughout this whole period? You know, Christ said forgive them because they do not know. So Yeah, but why do they not know? Because uh, they're being lazy and they don't care. And a lot of people don't care to uh, do things the right way or care to learn about others, especially Americans. They just want to focus on what they know in their life. And it shouldn't be that way, but we know that it is that way. We know the reality. Right. So when people say Ashun or Osundario, you know the, it's not R-I-O, it's A-I-R-O. You could read, or maybe you can't read, but why are you saying Dario? Because it's easier for you? Like, if I see someone's name, I try to pronounce it uh, the correct the right way. way. Uh-huh. Unless it's in Chinese symbols, then I'm just not saying anything. I was just curious if that's a depiction of, of some of how this story's been told. Lazy. Lazy, yep. very, yeah. A lot lackadaisical, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Do you want to say your surname for everybody? Ashundairo. Ashundairo. Yes, that is how it's pronounced. How old were you when you went to Nigeria then? Did you have time over there in your upbringing? Did you go to school there? We went to boarding school in Nigeria, which was a whole nother different experience. Nigeria was... I guess what you would call a culture shock to us because it was totally different than America. The food, different. The people could tell that we were different by the way we spoke, obviously, our accent, and also by the way we looked. They could tell that we were different. What was boarding school like? Boarding school taught us how to survive on very little because the food that we were served every day was not enough for a growing teenager. At all. I think they stunted my growth, man. I'm supposed to be way taller than I am. I'm about 6'1", but I'm supposed to be like 6'6", man. They bogus. I'm talking about 422 kids, growing kids. They gave us 11 eggs to eat for breakfast. Scrambled eggs. They scrambled 11 eggs for 22 kids. For 22 kids. <laughs> what I Take say. a second, think about yeah. this. That's less than one egg per kid. Yes. Half an egg. Half an egg. <laughs> for for right. And it wasn't even half an egg. Because let me tell you, the way it works in Nigeria, it's a seniority uh, thing. So the seniors get to divide the food and they divide their portions first. So they take most of it. So if you're the most junior like I was, you're getting crumbs, man. You're not even getting crumbs. You're getting the oil from the egg. You're eating that shit with the bread. That's it. So, He's not lying. I'm, I'm dead ass. He's not lying. I'll be fighting other uh, kids for the tray, for the plate that the egg came in, so I could eat the oil, <laughs> oil with the bread. It was crazy. Yeah. So yeah, it was tough. It showed us how to survive with yeah. very little. Also, our parents 
or my father and grandparents, they didn't want to give us too much to spoil us. Right. So they didn't give us too much money or send us to school with too much or too many provisions. So we're not spoiled. They wanted us to have that lifestyle of, okay, we're going to give you this. Now make use of what you have, of right. what we give you. Make it last. Right. And you got to figure it out. So I think uh, it allowed us to... Uh, Dude, yeah, it allowed yeah. us to. We had survive. to grow up. We had to grow up. Yeah, a lot quicker, and kind of rely on our each other too, because it's my brother and I alone at boarding school. All right. So I think that's where we also formed a strong bond, a stronger yeah. bond. Yeah, most definitely. It was us versus them, <laughs> versus everyone else. We felt like outsiders at first. Until we learned the culture, even learned how to speak like them because they knew we weren't from there with the way we moved, the way we spoke. So we even with the way we looked. We yeah, looked even, even even the look, they could tell that we're not from there by the way we look. In what way? Even facial facial features. Because we eat different, the climate's different. So all that affects how someone looks and acts. So they could tell. They could just look at us and be like, oh, yeah, you're not from here mm -hmm. without even opening your mouth. Would you see yourselves as Nigerian or American? Because you were partly raised and schooled in Chicago, but also, you know, teenage years are really influential. So then you had quite a few years in Nigeria. I see myself as a child of God. I don't have that construct of being American or being Nigerian or being black or being white. I see myself and everybody else as children of God. What made you go back to Chicago then? Um, it was for school, actually. We were never supposed to stay there for a long time. We just Our parents took us there to get us acclimated to our culture and spend time with our grandparents and know our family over there. So So they wanted you to have a Nigerian influence and understand yes. where your family were from. Yes, yes, exactly. That and also get away from Chicago. Chicago uh, can, the influences of, the negative influences Chicago was or may uh, have had on us at that time. So they wanted to get us away from that. But really, predominantly, was to learn more about our culture, spend time with our family, to know who we are. What were the negative influences in Chicago? So in Chicago, the neighborhood we lived in right before we went to Nigeria was the South Side. And it was a Hispanic neighborhood. And of course, you had other ethnicities that lived there. Uh, you had black people and uh, a few white people, but mainly Hispanic and black people. So there were gangs there. There was there were drugs there. And uh, obviously being in that neighborhood, being at the school we were at, you had those influences. Even me being uh, in second, third grade there, I was around those type of people. You had people smoking weed at nine years old, 10 years old. That was normal for us back then. Gang banging back then was normal. At that age, throwing up gang, gang sets, 
hanging out uh, with other uh, gang members and fighting different neighborhoods was a normal thing, occurrence for us. So being around that, our parents uh, did not like us being in that type of environment. And uh, getting we, we sometimes did get in trouble, got suspended from school for fighting, of course. Uh, and that's just because of the circumstance uh, that we were in, especially me. Like, I, I would fight because someone would try to pick on me or think I'm soft or because I'm reserved. I'm always thinking, but I, I'm reserved. I don't show my hand uh, too often. Uh, they would think to try me. Let's see what this guy's about. So I would get into some fights and whatnot. But I always held my own. I've never lost a fight. My brother can attest to that. Uh, so I've whooped his ass. Uh, I don't know why he's lying. You've lost to me. That's cap. But okay. You've lost to me. Big cap. So yeah, those type of things were going on in in that neighborhood. Yeah. People, shit. People in elementary school are already having sex. Right. Easy. We could be walking down the street. We had, we've had cars pull up to us asking us where the gang members were. So there was a gang in our neighborhood called the 2-6. And there's another gang called Latin Kings that were from another neighborhood. So there's a time my brother and I were walking down the street with a friend. And they the Latin Kings pulled up next to us and asked us, where the two six were at, they knew we weren't two six because we weren't Hispanic. Hispanic. It's a Hispanic gang, so they pulled up next to us and asked us where the two six at were at, and we said we have no idea. So, so they drove off. So right. things like that was happening. What was the dynamic between you guys? Because you're obviously very close now. What was it like when you were growing up? Were you always really close, or this is producer Jackson? I would say before moving to the South Side, we fought a lot. We would fight a lot. Um, there was actually a time where I was laying down on my back watching TV, and this man bring a some kind of laptop computer or something, toy computer, and dropped it on my face for no reason. I still don't know the reason till today. So we fought a lot um, when we were younger, but got closer over the years once we started going to the same school. We grew up side by side with each other. We pretty much been doing the same thing as each other, especially right before Nigeria. Uh, we went to, when we moved to the South Side, we started, that's, that's our first time attending the same school, Eberhardt Elementary School. And since then, we've just been together doing the same things. Well, once we went to Nigeria, we went to the same school. After Nigeria, we went to the same college, um, got into acting together, started bodybuilding together. Like, when I see him, I see myself. You feel me? So anything he does i support him anything i do he supports me and i know if he wins that's a win for me i would say we we have a lot of the same values 
we have a lot of the same values. We um, believe in a lot of the same things. And for the most part, we we act the same and behave the same. It's just certain things that I always look at them sideways. How would you describe your brother? How would you describe Ola? One thing I would say about him is he has good leadership traits. Uh, even though I see myself as more of a leader, but he has, I've seen, witnessed him be able to lead and command people better than I have been, even though that I see myself more as so a leader. So you're very tell man. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> so uh, so uh, he's uh, obviously my older brother by two years. Uh, we have, we're very similar, but we do have different, we're very different. We have different opinions on certain uh, topics, but uh, most of, for, for the most part, we we think the same. We have the same uh, mindset uh, that anything is possible, anything we put our mind to, we can achieve. Uh, there's nothing that can stop us and we have a greater purpose in life. If you notice earlier, I said I box, I act. I didn't say I'm a boxer, I'm an actor. Those are just things that I do as a vehicle to get to where I want to get to. What is it about acting? Why do you want to be actors or why did you get into acting? So my brother wanted to be an actor because he wants to follow me, mm-hmm. of course. Of course. He wants to do everything I'm doing. Follow my little brother. He wants to do everything I'm doing. That's why he wants to box. And he started boxing three months ago, too. He got it. He got it right. So You're right, bro. I know. So acting, I've always wanted to act since I was younger. we've, We've been in magazines. My mom has always put us in things like that. And I've always just loved acting since I was a young a child, and I, I would say I love acting because it allows me to express myself in different ways, probably that I don't get to do normally every day. Uh, acting allows me to do that and to play different roles, uh, to be different people. Because when I act, I become that person or that character, so it's different than my real self. I just love cinema. Movies. I love how the whole production is just put together and how you can do one scene and another scene and just make everything just look so different from what actually happened right there. I, I love cinema. So why don't you just go into production then and not acting? Because that's hard. Acting's easy. Oh, okay. I think acting's probably hard as well. Oh, it's easy not, for me. Yeah, if you've got a knack for it. It's fun. It's easy. Yeah. It takes work, though. Best believe that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But we're no strangers to work. And you mentioned that with Jesse, you know, he was a famous actor and you were trying to advance your career in acting, which is one of the reasons why you were hanging out with him. Why do you think he was hanging out with you? Because I wasn't a fanboy. One, and also he probably saw me as a friend 
And also, lastly, he was probably attracted to me. So for those three reasons is why he hung out with me. There's a lot of comments in the press around his own need or want for more fame. Was that something that you noticed with him? Do you think that's a true assessment of him? It may be a true assessment of him, but when I was with him, no, not so much. But, you know, people are very complex and nuanced and do things differently and for different reasons. So I, I do think fame is a drug. And uh, once you have had a taste, uh, you want more and more and more. Most of the time, if you don't uh, control it or put that in check, I would say it was part of the reason why he did it. I was alone when he first told me about the fake attack. When he told me, I was flabbergasted. I was dumbfounded, like, wait, why is this guy telling me he wants me to fake attack him? This is kind of weird. Uh, it was weird. Uh, so that was my initial thought of that. How did the conversation come up? <laughs> why are you laughing? Because it's, it's funny how it came up. I, I wasn't expecting it. So I, I worked on Empire, on the set of Empire, and I was working as a stand-in at that time. And he was actually the one that helped me get the stand-in role. Explain what a stand-in is. So a stand-in is someone that uh, stands in place of an actor uh, to set up the light or the camera angles and whatnot. So I was a stand-in for his love interest on the role. His love interest on Empire was Kai. So I was the stand-in for Kai. I was not working that day. He had told me to come, that he needed my help on the low. So when I got to the uh, center space where they shoot a lot of uh, Chicago shows, we got in the car and he was just explaining how he had got sent a letter. I don't know if he sent it to himself or who sent it to him. Uh, there's many theories on that, but he had got sent a letter to uh, the studio and it had a picture of uh, someone hanging from a rope or a rope tied around their neck with a gun pointed and I think the wording bang. Very uh, preschoolish. Yeah, yeah, stick figure. I believe it had MAGA on there. It had nigger on there. But they sent the letter to him, and he was telling me how he thinks the studio was not taking it seriously. He had just said, I want you to beat me up. And he just switched the topics. I want you to beat me up. And Is that we, how he said it? Yeah. I want you to beat me up. <laughs> and... That was, it was bizarre. Like, what? You want me to beat you up? So then he told me the story about, or he told me how he wanted it to happen and eventually told me that he needed a second person and the second person should be my brother. What was your initial reaction? Because it's not every day that somebody asks you to beat you up. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, this dude is crazy. I don't know what he's smoking. Maybe it's this weed that he's smoking because he was rolling up smoking. Maybe it's that. I don't know. But this dude is tweaking. What are you thinking? No, I'm, I'm just thinking about the time when I first 
uh, was told about the whole uh, scheme. I was just, I could, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. But even though I couldn't believe what I was hearing, something just flicked in my mind, like, wow. So this is this is how Hollywood works. <laughs> like, it started taking me back to like all the stories in Hollywood and stuff, like it confirmed to me, like, this is what they do. When he was trying to justify why we should do the fake attack, he said a lot of things uh, that you see in Hollywood are fake. He said this was around the time when Kim Kardashian got robbed in, in, Paris. in Paris. So he mentioned and said, yeah, that was all set up. That That wasn't real. Look, I did not say that, so don't come for me. I'm saying what he told me. He said it was a setup. I'm not sure if Kanye knew that, because Kanye was not there, but he said that was set up by them to make it look like she got kidnapped or robbed, whatever happened in that situation. So in my head, I'm like, damn, okay. I'm officially a part of Hollywood. Let's go. He's from Hollywood. He works in Hollywood, and he's bringing this to us. And even though it was something that would be thought of, we're actually seeing it firsthand now, like, happen and play out. So people always say Hollywood is fake. Hollywood is fake. And now he's, he's trying to do this fake attack. So, yeah, it just confirmed a lot of things that a lot of people would believe already. Because you're sat in Hollywood right now. You said what? You're sat in Hollywood. Oh, right. Exactly. We're in Hollywood. Exactly. Right? Recording this exactly. right now. Yeah. Is that what you think now? In uh, hindsight? Still, yes. Yes. The world is a stage. <laughs> yes. And a lot of things really? are yeah, made up. Even if you look at social media today, a lot of things that people put out there on social media, it's, it's fake. You're putting forth the... A fake reality of what's really going on in your life, and Hollywood is that, but like on steroids. When he first initially told me about what he wanted to do, the fake attack, a lot of emotions ran through me, and I know I remember my first thought was like, "Damn, I made it." What do I mean by I made it? So. A famous actor that's on the number one show is asking me to be a part of a production. Not Hollywood production, but of a production. And he's confiding in me. Like, he believes in me. That's why he's telling me that. Like, what the hell? This is crazy. Uh, so when, when he first told me, I was like, damn, I made it. Like, this is Hollywood. You're listening to Attacking Jesse, the Oshundairo Brothers story. Hosted and produced by me, Charlie Webster. Alongside producer Jackson McLennan. Research and assistant producer Casey Hertz. Edited by Nico Palella. Seema Graywall is our assistant editor. Theme music by Nico Palella. Additional production by Will Hagel, Nicole Urban and Stephen Sletton. Executive produced by me, Charlie Webster. 
This is a Lionsgate Sound Production, engineered by Pilgrim Media Group.